You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, everyone. Hey, Amy. So welcome, everybody that's here this morning. And Gail and Joanne, I'm so glad you're here, especially as our care companions. So folks who are just joining us might not know we have care companions available, uh, you know, all the time, but especially after the service. So these are trained listeners, folks uh, from the church who are part of our ministry team and, the, and have been trained in the spiritual practice of listening and companionship. So they're available after every worship service on Sundays and on Wednesday evenings for one-on-one conversation. So if anything is stirring in you and you want to connect with somebody one-on-one after the service, please follow the link that you'll find in the chat and you can get connected with a care companion right after the service. My name is Jen Crow. I'm one of your co-senior ministers here at First Universalist Church, and I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. Whether you're joining us live or you're watching us on YouTube or you're listening to the podcast days after the service has aired, we're so glad that you're with us in any and all of the ways that we can be together right now. And like I said, here we are in the midst of one of the coldest days of the year here in Minnesota, and we are showing up showing up for each other and for ourselves, remembering that we are part of a community that is so much larger than any one of us as an individual. We're part of something bigger, working to transform our lives and our world into the vision we long for. So we are grounded here in the universalist spirit of love and hope as together we give and receive and grow together. So here in this church, we have spiritual practices of listening to where love is calling us next, of welcoming and protecting and affirming the light in each human heart and of acting for justice with courage and humility and compassion. We do all of this as a faith community that is deeply committed to creating racial justice in our congregation and in our country and our community. We are committed to dismantling the practices of white supremacy culture that harm all of us and to building the beloved community where everyone can bring all of who they are fully and thrive. So this is the life we invite you into. This is the faith that we journey in together. So we hope that you find some comfort and connection and challenge today. Now, if you're already connected to the church, you have likely heard some big news that's moving in our community uh, this past week. So maybe you saw it through the video message or through the letters that arrived in the mail to you or through the liberal era online newsletter. Maybe you've heard in any of those ways that our beloved co-senior minister, Reverend Justin, will be leaving his position with us at the end of the church year after our annual meeting. Now, if you're like me, I'm sure you're experiencing a swirl of emotions and thoughts that go with receiving this news, right? Maybe you're feeling sad. I know I have been. Justin's been with me through some key moments in my life and in my ministry and time with you all here at First Universalist. And it is not going to be the same without him here with us, and it will be hard for me to let him go. Uh, maybe you're also feeling something else I've found sneaking in, which is just this immense sense of pride in him and in his deep spiritual practice of listening to where love is calling him next and to following that with courage 
especially as he really just breaks up the gender expectations uh, in our society and says, I am going to turn away from you know, this place and time in my career in this moment, and I am gonna turn instead to nurturing my family, right? It is not something we often see or allow men to do in our culture. And I'm so grateful that Justin is able to listen and follow that calling in his own heart. So he's gonna say a whole bunch more about that this morning, but I really trust in our spiritual strength and maturity as a congregation and as a community that we will continue to lean in and listen to where love is calling us next as we follow Justin's example in that. And I am not alone in leading you through this transition. I'm so grateful to have the partnership of our board of trustees and our leadership team on staff. And I wanna make sure you get to hear from our board president, uh, Brianna French right now. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Jen. Good morning, beloveds. As your president, I want you to know unequivocally that everything is okay, though I am sad to see Justin go. Our church is strong and healthy, and Justin was the reason I ever joined a church, and now look at me as board president, so it's a special place in my heart. And as Jen so beautifully just said, I'm so proud of him to be able to turn towards his family and really live out the values that we say we believe in. I have the utmost confidence though in Jen's leadership and I'm excited for what the future will bring. We've seen her rocket when she brought us through a pandemic and racial uprising. So we have good leaders in this church and I'm excited for what the future holds. And we also know how to say a good goodbye. Thank you, Jenny, for that coining that term. As we've seen for 10 years now with Reverends Kate, Elaine and Ruth, and so I'm looking forward to hearing more from Justin this morning and for the time that we still have together. Thanks, Brianna. I couldn't be more grateful for being in leadership with you in this time and through this whole year. So wherever we're coming in from, wherever we're joining this service from today, let's take a moment to settle our bodies and be fully present in all the ways we can and to connect over time and space with our shared breath. For me, I'm going to raise my shoulders up and drop them down. You can settle your body any way that works for you. I'm settling my feet on the floor, my hands in my lap. You can close your eyes or soften your gaze or just keep bustling about your life. But I invite us to take a breath together. I'm going to breathe in. Hold it and breathe out. Morning, everyone. So uh, like we sometimes do, I'm inviting you all to be co-storytellers with me. So get whoever has the fastest typing fingers close to the keyboard and let's start our story. Uh, and first, 
we'll need a name of our protagonist or the main character of our story. It's a kid. What what should we name the kid who our story is about? Oh, Sparky is <laughs> the first one I saw. And I also see Larry and Leo and Decker and Elias, but Sparky is so unique that <laughs> we'll go with Sparky. I also like Sparky because it's very non-gender conforming. So um, what do you think are the pronouns that I should use for Sparky? They, oh, lots of they's, the they's have it. Okay, so uh, once there was a kid named Sparky who was really good at an activity. What, what do we want Sparky to be super amazing at? Oh, juggling, yes. I see tennis and archery and soccer and playing marbles, Minecraft and volleyball. Uh, the first one I saw was juggling. So let's go with juggling. Yes, Sparky was very, 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 very good at juggling. And Sparky was so good at juggling that Sparky was a part of a team of jugglers. They would not only juggle sacks and balls, but they would juggle bowling pins. And there were four of them that would stand together and they would toss the bowling pins back and forth. And Sparky was key to the success of this juggling team. They went across the country and around the world winning juggling competitions. And so Sparky was so integral to the team and Sparky loved juggling so much, but Sparky felt inside that they were being pulled in another direction. And they were having dreams about becoming or doing something totally different. What do you think Sparky might have been dreaming about doing? Oh, Rebecca said singing, Sinclair said public speaking, rock hunter, someone said knitting, archery, zookeeper, playing soccer, trapeze, dog grooming, building an airplane, swimming, painting, knitting, all excellent suggestions. The first one I saw, was singing. So we'll say that Sparky was feeling really pulled toward becoming a singer. And they knew that in order to really cultivate their craft as a musician, they weren't going to be able to keep spending so much time juggling. And they also knew that that was really going to let down the team. So with a, a, a really sad heart and, and a lot of curiosity, Sparky went to their grandfather and asked, uh, I, 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 I love juggling and I'm so good at juggling and, and my team loves me and we're doing so great and I don't know how the team is going to get by without me, but, but I really feel like I want to sing, Grandpa. I really want to sing. What, what do you think I should do? And Sparky's grandfather said, you are the author of your story. All stories have a beginning. And in the very beginning, it is said that there was nothing in the universe but the creator, the great mystery. And the creator was lonely. Then the creator had a dream, a vision, and it was a beautiful dream. In it, the creator saw all of the things that would be created. What do you think the creator saw? Oh. Uh, hats, someone said, uh, animals, someone said, someone said singing jugglers, <laughs> striped cats, sunshine, pandas, plats, plants, us, spiral galaxies, sweaters, trees and flowers and birds, exactly. All of those things the creator saw 
in their dream. And the creator, oh, and Donkey Kong and squirrels, <laughs> lakes and oceans. Yes. And the creator also saw how new life was born when living things died so that the circle of life would continue. The creator thought and thought and thought about the dream and tried to understand what it all meant. And in their wisdom, the creator understood that their vision had to be fulfilled. That if the creator was given a dream, that that dream was connected to some kind of purpose. And that the creator was absolutely going to bring into existence what they had seen and heard and felt. So what are some of the things that the creator made? Art, Sarah said, hats, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, music, Lisa said, forests and a whole choir of singers who also juggle, <laughs> yes. Water and ducks and beer. <laughs> Someone said, and cats and masks and sunsets and sunrises, all of creation. Yes, rainbows and guitars. Yes, love, exactly. And dog slash God, someone said. <laughs> yeah, so the creator made all of these things that we know now to be in our existence. And each of Earth's creations was given some of the creator's power and some of the creator's nature. Humankind was created in all shapes and sizes and colors and languages we know and ways of living and given several gifts that the animals and the plants didn't get. The first was the ability to dream. And when humans were given the gift of dreaming, we also were given the ability to create and invent and find ways to make our dreams come true. Grandpa said to Sparky, you are the creator's dream come true. He said, grandchild, dreaming is your nature. It is also in your nature to fulfill your dreams. These gifts come directly from the one who dreamed you. And when you follow your dreams, you honor the one who created you and you move deeper into your purpose. And so Sparky sat and thought about that for a while. And then Sparky turned to their grandpa and said, thanks, grandfather. I now know what I will do. This is the sound of voices too. 
This is the sound of voices three Singing together in harmony Surrendering to the mystery This is the sound of voices three This is the sound of voices three This is the sound of all of us Singing with love and a will to trust Leave the rest behind, it'll turn to dust This is the sound of all of us This is the sound of all of us This is the sound of one voice One people, one voice A song for every one of us This is the sound of one voice This is the sound of one This is the sound of one voice. Feeling so grateful for that prayer, Jen, and so grateful, Amy, for the story, Franco, for your music, Andrew, for your singing. It's a beautiful thing we're weaving together. So dear ones, by now I trust you've received the letter or read in our newsletter or watched the video. And you know that I'm ending my ministry with you and will leave the church in June after the annual meeting on June 6th. This week, this tender week, and for a long time really, this poem by William Stafford has been guiding me. And I wanna share these words with you this morning. I know many of you have heard them before, but they have been holding me for a long time. This is a poem called The Way It Is. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread, but it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen. People get hurt or die. And you suffer and get old. Nothing you can do stops times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. Those words have been holding me and I have been holding tightly to the thread. Our theme this month is truth-telling, and today I want to share the truth of this moment and the truth of my decision with you as best I can. The first truth is this. 
I love this congregation. There is tenderness and sadness in this decision to leave. And I'm so glad we have four more months together, time for conversations and Zoom meetings. And when it warms just a titch, maybe some uh, outdoor one-on-one -on -one gatherings, perhaps time for tears and blessings, time for sharing of stories and memories, really time to honor all that we have done and shared together these past 12 years. This is a big transition and doing those things and having this time means that it can be a good goodbye. The second truth is this, I am a person of faith, serving a faith community. And it is my faith that is calling me to a new season of my life. Now I have learned in my time with you that some of these religious words can be very loaded words, can be words that uh, are harmful without some explanation. So let me explain and say a little bit about what I mean when I use the word faith. As Buddhist author Sharon Salzberg writes, faith is not a singular state that we either have or don't have, but it's something we do. So it's not something we have or don't have, it's something we do. In other words, faith is a verb. In Latin, faith means to trust, to confide in, to rely on. For me, faith is a thread that I hold on to no matter what. I follow the thread. I trust and rely on where it is leading me. And what I love about faith as a verb, as an action, is that it means faith is a leap, a movement, a gesture, a move, something that we can do over and over again. It is a practice and a loyalty that grows over time. It's an inner quality, writes Sharon Salzberg, that unfolds as we learn to trust our own deepest experiences and truths. Sharon Salzberg writes, faith is what gets us out of bed. It's what gets us on an airplane to an unknown land. It's what opens us to the possibilities that our lives can be different than they are. It is saying, I align myself with the potential inherent in life and I give myself to that potential. Faith is the willingness to take the next step to begin a journey to an unknown destination. I'm a person of faith, a person who believes that spirit that love, that God is always speaking to each of us in a still small voice, is always shaping and informing those deepest knowings and experiences that can guide our lives. And our work as people of faith is to listen to that voice, to discern those stirrings in our spirit, to follow that thread, to accept love's invitation that things can be different than they are. This central belief has shaped so much of my life. I first heard the call to ministry when it was just this faint little murmur, and I was in my early 20s. And when that call to ministry got ratcheted up by a couple of decibels, one or five or ten, and it became much louder, I applied for and was hired for this full-time position at a Unitarian church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I started my path to seminary. 
I came to St. Paul to do my internship at Unity Unitarian across the river. And then several years after that internship, I was called by this congregation, First Universalist, in the spring of 2009 to serve as your senior minister. I wholeheartedly followed my call here because my deepest yes, 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 met the yes in the congregation and our ministry began together. And what a joy, what a joy that has been. The connection I feel with this church goes to the depths of my spirit. You ordained me. I had friends and colleagues who warned me when I was at the beginning of this search process. They said to me, you should be ordained. That just means having, for practical purposes, that means having the reverend title in front of my name. They said, you should be ordained before you go into search. A congregation won't call you if you're not ordained. But my deep knowing, my faith said, no, I want the congregation that calls me to ordain me. And so it was. In the years that followed, my wife and I had our children, Tucker and Jesse, dedicated at First Universalist, blessed with water on their foreheads, on their lips, on their hands, so that their thoughts and their words and their deeds might serve that greater love that we are all a part of. First Universalist is deep in my heart. And over the years, I have dedicated your children and memorialized loved ones. I've wept and celebrated with you, and I've accompanied many of you through life's biggest questions and challenges, biggest areas of growth and heartbreak. Early on in my ministry with you, the spirit stirred in me, and I felt a shared calling to begin our racial justice journey, this journey of dismantling white supremacy culture to build beloved community. There is still work to do, of course there is, but we're a different church now, 12 years later than we were when I started. And that racial justice commitment is held by so many. Three years ago, Reverend Jen and I followed the call of the spirit, that thread we were both holding on, and we moved into co-ministry together, modeling new ways of leading, new ways of sharing power, new ways to be together. I share these stories because following the call of love, following that thread has been a central part of my spiritual life and has become a central part of this faith community's life as well. In my time with you, I have learned that faith communities have long and deep memories. So let me acknowledge that even though it was a long time ago, this congregation didn't have good endings with previous senior ministers. Some of you will remember when previous uh, senior ministers, I'm thinking of Terry Sweetser and Susan Milner, and then Frank Rivas, when they left, when they left the church, things were messy, and the truth about what was going on was not known by everyone. They were not clean endings. They were not good goodbyes. So if you have been a part of this church for a long time, you may be wondering this morning or wondering when you saw the announcement or the video or the letter, you may be wondering what's really going on here. You know, spending more time with family can mean all kinds of things, right? And what I can tell you, dear ones, is that there is nothing else going on. I love working with Reverend Jen Crow. Co-ministry with her has been a joy. 
She is a fabulous colleague, an incredible human being, a superbly gifted minister and leader. It has been a delight to do ministry with her for nine years and co-ministry for three. I love the staff. You are so lucky to have them. They are an incredibly talented, passionate, committed, compassionate group of people. I love the board of trustees. They are gifted, talented, dedicated. There's no conflict with anyone in the church. No one has asked me to leave. I'm not being fired. There's nothing amiss. The church is healthy and strong. Our finances are fine. There is no crisis. And there's no crisis in my family. My relationship with Juliana and Tucker and Jesse is happy and strong and healthy. The truth, the truth is that I have been faithfully holding on to the thread, have been listening deeply to where love is calling me. And the answer that keeps emerging in my heart, in my journaling, in my prayer life, in conversations with my spiritual director and with others is that love is calling me to a new season of my life. Love is calling me home to my family. Love is calling my heart and my presence to my innermost circle of beloveds. Love is calling me away from ministry. It feels a little bonkers. How can this be where love is calling me? So much is good and right, right here. And yet the deeper truth, the deepest truth is that I can't escape the pull of love. I have to follow the thread. I can't ignore that thread any longer. So let me share a story with you, a story that helps me know that following the thread is the right thing, that helps me know that this season of my ministry is coming to an end, that I'm moving into a new season in my life. So here's the story. Some of you were there for this. At my ordination service in the fall of 2009, October, on the very same weekend that we were celebrating the 150th anniversary of the church, I so clearly remember one of my beloved mentors, the Reverend Jan Eller Isaacs, during the charge to the minister part of the ordination ceremony, asking me to get down on my knees, essentially to humble myself before the spirit and to put my ego in the right place. And this is something that Jan does with every minister when she delivers a charge to the minister. She says, get on your knees. And, and we do because Jan's been in ministry a long time and she knows a thing or two. And so there I was on my knees and Jan is looking at me and I will never forget what happened next and what she said. She reached out and she took a hold of my head as I kneeled there in front of her and she turned my head so that my gaze rested upon you all the congregation of First Universalist families and elders, just the whole beautiful congregation of First Universalist. She turned my head so I could take you in. And she said to me, as she held my head steady, looking at all of you, she said to me, Justin, you have big dreams and big energy and big imagination. Dream boldly, she said, but remember, a large congregation is like a huge ship on the sea. It takes a long 
time to change the bearing, to turn the ship, to move the ship in a different direction. Church time, she said, is as slow as molasses. I've never forgotten those words. I've never forgotten that moment. My great energy and vision and passion meeting the realities of institutional life together. And friends, part of what makes it possible for me now to follow this new calling in my life is the reality that this ship, this big ocean liner that is First Universalist, it has turned. It has a new orientation. It is moving in a fundamentally different direction than it was when I started 12 years ago. It is guided by a racial justice vision, a vision held by the board and the staff and so many of you. There is a freedom and also a bit of fear, I feel, in following the call of love and deciding to step away from ministry, to refashion my life, to hold tightly to the thread that my life depends on. But what I really want to say this morning, what I really want to say to all of you with us in this moment and listening later, what I want to say is ultimately, this isn't about me. This is about you. It's about your practice of listening deeply to where love is calling you next. It's about the thread in your own life that you must follow and hold tight to that people may not understand or even be able to see. This isn't really about me. It's about you. It's about you living your deepest truths. It's about your faith. It's about listening to your innermost knowings and deepest experiences. It's about you traveling the path that leads to your deepest yes, the most aliveness that you can muster. When you align yourself with the potential inherent in life and give yourself to that potential, when you follow the call of love, even though the destination isn't totally clear, you move into an aliveness that shimmers and shines and invites other people to discover such aliveness in their own lives. This isn't really about me, it's about you, the collective you. It's about this faith community, this first universalist faith community following the call of love, freeing itself from the supremacy practices that limit and harm and betray our values. What I know to be true is that you are a different faith community than you were 12 years ago. And you will be different still 12 years from now as you continue to follow the call of love, as you continue to hold tight to the thread, as you live into the possibility that your shared lives can be different than they are right now. I love you. I love you. And may it be so. And blessed be. And amen.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.